Okay, please stand with me as uh, we read, I read God's word out of Ruth chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there, lying at his feet, was a woman. So he asked, who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you this morning for your kindness and compassion on us, a needy people. Apart from you, we are without resources that truly matter. Thank you for taking the initiative to rescue us, to redeem us, by the sacrifice and blood of your Son. Thank you for calling us, guiding us, growing us, and adopting us into your family through our Redeemer, Jesus. Teach us this day through your servant, Patrick, and guide us in our understanding and application of what we hear through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. It's Vic Church. You may be seated. Uh, I'm really excited to preach to you because I'm not preaching in Judges. It's fantastic. This is going to be a great day. I've been looking forward to this sermon all week. Uh, that last sermon I preached two, three weeks ago, the end of Judges, that was tough, somewhat easy just to construct. This one has some nuance in it that will be surprising that we're going to have to walk through uh, given the nature of the text, but I am encouraged. I've loved the book of Ruth. It is so refreshing. It's like a glimpse of the New Testament in the Old, and it's fantastic. So if you have your Bibles with me, flip over to Ruth chapter 3. We're in Act 3 of a four-act story about redemption. So this is a story of redemption through these four chapters, and it really serves as a turning point in the nation of Israel, a, a turning of the tide, if you will. And so in Act 1, we talked about God being present in the midst of scarcity and abundance. Ruth is bitter. She went away full. She came back empty, and now God is ministering to her. And then, uh, that was two weeks ago, excuse me, and then last week, Jeff walked us through the fact that God is uh, calling us to righteousness despite the world's unrighteousness around us, that God will continue to provide for us with physical needs, sometimes emotional needs, relational needs. God's going to give those things. Well, this morning, very clearly, I want us to point to a simple point for us to consider, and it's in your bulletin, and it'll be on the screen. There is rest in the Redeemer when we live what we believe. There is rest in the Redeemer when we live what we believe. Pretty straightforward. We're going to unpack it as we go. And so I want to jump into the story. Uh, this morning, I, I, my points, and I'm going to give three principles at the end, but we're going to walk through the narrative of the story. It's a fascinating one. There's a lot of intrigue. There's an immense amount of drama that the English doesn't really represent that well. And if you already know the story, you're so excited just to get to the redemption part, you miss the parts where... Ruth or Naomi, even Boaz, enter a real tension-filled um, tension situation. And so we have to unpack that a little bit to find the depth of what is intended in Ruth chapter 3. And so the three principles I want you to see from verse 1 to verse 18, it'll come up again and again, are these three principles. And you can write them down, they'll be on the screen, and I'll come back at the end of the sermon. The first, react to God's catalyst. React to God's catalyst. He's going to put something in the world that will cause us to move into action. Are we going to react? Will we respond to it? Live with integrity. What motivates you? What is the motivating principles behind why you act? Well, live with integrity. And last, find rest under the Redeemer's wing. 
find rest under the Redeemer's wing. So we're going to open up to Ruth chapter 3. Before I open up to it, I'd like to pray again just for my own benefit and enjoyment. Will you join me? Our Lord God, we thank you for the blessing that this word teaches us and reminds us that your heart of redemption and your compassion towards us is true and it is powerful. It existed thousands of years ago and it continues today. So Lord, help us to recognize the redemption and the blessing to come under your provision and protection. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well, you open up to Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Why don't you follow along with me? We're going to read the first three verses real fast. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, wear your best clothes, go down to the threshing floor. But don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And so our story continues with a bit of a thrilling development. Boaz's introduction to uh, last chapter a week ago uh, went favorably for us and for Ruth. We know he's wealthy, he's generous, he's well-respected, and he showed some favor to uh, to Ruth. But how much favor? Well, Ruth and Naomi received six to eight months' worth of food That's wonderful news for them being destitute. They had nothing. Naomi went away full. She came back empty. And so this this gift gives them security for a portion of their lives, but it does not change the status of of them being destitute widows. Something must be done because they cannot rely on charity forever. It may run dry. And so Naomi has an idea. You may say a plan. You could even say a scheme. All right? Naomi wishes for Ruth to find rest. Now, the Hebrew word of rest is Manoah. You remember that from a couple months ago. I preached on Samson. His father's name was Manoah. It means to find rest. Now, he didn't find rest in his interactions with the Lord, but this story is going to be different. This is a story counter to Judges. Naomi wants Ruth to find rest. Well, how does she find it? How does a soul become settled in this day and age? One way, marriage. Marriage to a good man would bring Ruth rest. Naomi and Ruth both know this. It's no surprise that Naomi sees a chance that Boaz might be that man. Why? Because he just gave him six months worth of food. It's a pretty good indication that this guy might be into you. All right? So it's no, uh, it shouldn't be any surprise that she goes, hey, let's keep tracking here. And so Naomi's instructions to Ruth is explicit. Find a husband. And you know what? It should be Boaz. And so she's, she is a motivated individual to, pursue, to push Ruth into action. And Boaz checks all the boxes. He's rich. He's generous. And it seems like he's available. And so no time to waste. Because tonight is a unique night for a wealthy landowner. He'll be at the threshing floor. A threshing floor, just so you know, is usually on the top of a hill where you would separate the grain from the wheat, the stalk, and the chaff by throwing it into the air. The wind would uh, blow, the seeds would fall, and the chaff would be taken away. And so many farmers and landowners would come and do this for the whole night. And usually it's towards the end of the evening this would start because that's when the breeze would begin. But this night is unique in that landowners generally, they would work in their fields with their servants and then go home to their walled settlements in the evening. Not tonight. The wealthy landowner stays with his grain to either protect it, watch over it, or they're winnowing all night. They're just there. 
And so this is a unique opportunity. Naomi sees it and pushes Ruth into action. Tonight's the night. He'll be out there. And so she plays matchmaker. She tells her to look, smell, and dress well. Pretty straightforward. It shouldn't, why does that need to be said? All of those things a bride would do before her wedding, so that seems natural. But I think Naomi is stating something else to us, a little bit under the surface that we may not be privy to. She's instructing Ruth to end her time of mourning her husband. You have honored the dead. Now it's time to find rest. So go to the threshing floor and make your move tonight. Let's keep reading. Verse 4, 4 and 5. When he lies down, notice the place where he's laying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. This is a little controversial for us. Not to Naomi and Ruth, but it will be for us because when Naomi tells Ruth, uncover his feet, in the Hebrew, that phrase just taken by itself says, take off his pants. It's a a lot more subtle in my English translation. (laughs) Uncover his feet. But she says to her, take off his pants. Now, they didn't wear pants. They had tunics, robes. Uncover his lower extremities is what she says. And so this simple reading of this phrase is clearly a sexual advance. Obviously not uncommon during the time of the judges, but in our story, that seems a little odd, does it not? Beginning in chapter 1, the author has presented Naomi and Ruth and then Boaz as exceptions to the world around them. Ruth is a foreigner who devotes herself to Yahweh. Boaz is honorable Yahweh worshiper. Naomi has returned to her home, inevitably pleading with God for salvation from her bitterness. And so why this sudden shift in morality that all of a sudden Naomi says, expose Boaz? Well, we have to live in a tension that the author is creating. We have to uphold the author's intent. So clearly, the context promotes noble character and boldness in pursuing Boaz. Therefore, it's unlikely Ruth is making a pure sexual advance on him. She is, however, making her desire and intentions clear. This is why our translations say, uncover his feet. It's alluding to intimacy, not fornication. And so this action, though, comes with significant risk. What will Boaz, a man of high character and nobility in this area, react to such an advance? What will his response be? It certainly is a high-risk, high-reward atmosphere, but Ruth, in the midst of this, in this bold action that Naomi is prescribing for her, what's Ruth's response? She promises to do everything Naomi says. Out of love and devotion, she will do it no matter the outcome. Let's keep reading, 6 and 7. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley. She came secretly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. So, everything goes according to plan. Ruth reveals Boaz's lower extremities, either partially or entirely. We don't know exactly. He would have had two tunics on, just so you know. One he would have worked in, and another one he would have slept in, a thicker one. Consider it more of a sleeping bag tunic, if you will. 
And that's important in a moment because what she's going to ask him to do with that outer tunic describes for us the heart of the story. And so I want you to recognize something just below the surface. Ruth and Naomi are mirroring the invisible hand of God working behind the scenes to bring about a favorable outcome. Boaz knows none of this, yet many things are happening. So this, is, this event is not presented as mere seduction or manipulation. We might be predisposed to interpret it that way based on the world we live and our jaded mind and thoughts, but, the section, but this section, like the one before it, all signs are promising that Ruth will find favor in Boaz and that she's operating with good motivations. This isn't merely to secure some better future for her, although it is, she's actually serving Naomi. And so waiting on God in this moment does not mean idleness. Most often, waiting on God requires effort and trust. Well, why? God's providence sometimes utilizes supernatural means. Things just happen. Other times, God uses natural means to bring about blessing in our lives. And so in our story, Naomi is the catalyst for Ruth to act. And she's not going to act blindly. Ruth uses wisdom to know when to approach Boaz. Wisely, she goes to him when he's finished work. He's enjoyed an evening with his servants, waits for when he'll be in his best mood, and finally, when he's laying down alone, she goes to him. That's not manipulation. Sure, it could be seduction, but her motives are genuine. The purity of her motivation is what's keeping these actions from being seduction and instead being an invitation. She's doing all of this out of service and loyalty to Naomi. And so she uncovers his legs and lays down. Let's keep reading 8 and 9. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there laying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. This is the crescendo of the chapter. Between 9 and 10 is where we're supposed to pause and gasp. Boaz, startled by a breeze probably, wakes him up, and he says, who are you? And her reply is drenched in boldness. She uses a different word for servant than she used in chapter 2. If you look at chapter 2, verse 13, she describes herself as a servant. But there she uses the term and the word sifa. That term for servant refers to an ordinary servant, someone that has no status, just serves. Here, she uses the word ama. You can see it on the screen. This is the word a wife would use to describe herself in relationship to her husband as his servant. Ama conveys the need for provision, protection, and potentially the perks of marriage. And so she's saying to Boaz in this moment, I'm wife material, you can bring me home to mom. That's essentially what she just said to him, I am your servant, Ruth. I am Amma. That's a bold move. And she's not done. She goes on to press Boaz into action. She says, take me under your wing. That word wing is tanak. It's the idea of the hem of a garment, so that outer robe that is supposed to be tossed over. It may not mean much to you, but in that phrase, take me under your wing, is our equivalent of Boaz, will you marry me? You are my Goel, my family redeemer. And so in this simple uh, verse of, not, of a couple words, verse, 
verse 9, there are three things twisted together in her request for Boaz. I want to walk through these with you. They're not necessarily points, but they're things you need to consider. First, I want to be under your provision and protection as your wife. She's using the word kanap, meaning wing, or the part of his cloak that covers him. She would now like it to spread over her. She wants to be covered under his provision and protection. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you are responsible for taking me into your house as a family redeemer. All right, now we're pressing the issue a little bit more. It's little less you don't have a choice. This is something you need to do. Pretty bold move. Well, what is a kinsman redeemer or a family redeemer? You may have heard it before. Uh, It's the duty of the nearest male relative of a deceased man. Okay, so husband has died. The nearest relative is to marry the widow, produce a child for her, and then that child, that firstborn child, will then be acknowledged as the dead husband's son. He will then inherit the property and name. This was prescribed to all the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 25, if you want to read about it in more detail, as a way of redemption and continuation, that there will always be a remnant. And so this is the duty of God's people to uphold it. So when she challenges Boaz, she's not challenging him based on a whim. She is basing it on what is truly commanded by God for his people to do. So she challenges Boaz. Uh, It's your responsibility, marry me. Good move, right, ladies? Yeah. Now, here's number three. This one I think is fascinating. You prayed for me to find full reward under the wings of God's refuge. Will you be the answer to your own prayer? It's pretty wonderful. Look at back in chapter 2, verse 12. Look what Boaz says. May the Lord reward you, excuse me, reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord of Israel, under whose wings, Kanap, you have come for refuge. And so she's turning it back on him and says, that was your prayer. Can you be the answer to your own prayer? I I wish we were all ancient Jews because you could cut the tension with a knife in this moment. There is no certainty about how Boaz will respond despite some previous signs of him favoring Ruth. And so an ancient Jew would have known in their bones that Ruth was shattering social norms. She was blowing right through what should have been. She is a servant. He is a master. She is the uninvited visitor. He is the wealthy, noble landowner. She is a woman. He is a man. She is a foreigner. He is a native. She is poor. He is rich. A lot could go wrong here. There is a lot happening under the surface. How will Boaz respond? Remember, this is the time of the judges. People did what was right in their own eyes. He could do a couple things. He could do what was right in his own eyes, rape and abuse her. He could send her away quietly, viewing her only as a prostitute, as the prostitutes would come out to the threshing floor, render their services for grain and food. He could have sex with her, then accuse her of entrapment and seduction, destroying her name and reputation while protecting his own. All of this is possible in this moment. But praise God, he does none of those things. Because he's a man who represents what is called chesed. It's the Hebrew word for covenant loyalty and covenant love. Those two are interchangeable. It's one's personal devotion to Yahweh's covenant. And so Boaz, already introduced as that man, leads us to the understanding that will be his response. He is a man who lives what he believes. He practices what he preaches. Let's see his response. Verses 10 and 11. 
Then he said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Amen. The tension in this story is cut dramatically by the master taking his position as a servant. He wants to serve Ruth, but why? Because she also represents covenant love and loyalty, just like he does. She could have pursued any man for redemption, but she hasn't. So he signifies how precious she is to him by calling her daughter. It's a sign of adoration. And so they both, Ruth and Boaz, demonstrate covenant love and loyalty to each other. Remember how the narrator, back in chapter 2, introduced Boaz, saying he's a man of noble character, well-respected in his community, a man of the gate? In turn, now Boaz is taking that same title and bestowing it upon Ruth when he says the same to her, you are blessed. Your name is well known in the community. And so he now begins to treat her as his equal in standing and rank, taking a destitute woman, a widow at the bottom of society and elevating her and bringing her up, restoring her. Let's keep reading. 12 through 15. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a, a redeemer close than I, closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. So she, so she laid down at his feet until morning but got up while it was still dark. And then Boaz said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, Bring a shawl you're wearing and hold it out. And when she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into the town. I want you to recognize the depth of Boaz's covenant loyalty, his chesed. His honor and integrity will not usurp another man from reaping the blessing of being a redeemer. This is the level of integrity of the man we're witnessing. He could take advantage. He could just yes and keep moving. It's the time of the judges. But his honor and his integrity will keep him from doing that. This, is, this action is why we know that this whole event is not just a sexual encounter between Ruth and Boaz. Boaz has the integrity to do what is right, even when the situation presents opportunities for sin and personal gain. This couple truly is the exception during the time of the judges. They consistently do what is right in God's eyes, not their own. There might not be a king in Israel, but there is certainly a Lord over these two people's lives. And it's a refreshing story, genuinely. When godliness, in a person, when godliness is a person's motivation, blessings do abound. And so Boaz gives six measures of barley to Ruth. Do you know what this is? Some interpreters consider this the bride price the payment to give to Naomi. Not that you purchase her like a slave or a piece of property, but it's a promise that he will make a way to be married and will provide for her for her life. These two things are being given to Ruth to give back to Naomi. And so now we come to the third uh, scene in this act. Let's read 16 through 18 to the end of the chapter. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, what happened, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything that the man had done. 
She said, he gave me six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest unless he resolves this today. So the narrator condenses this whole story into a straightforward line by saying she repeated everything that happened. But notice, what does he spend extra time describing? The very end, the six measures of barley. But we have an additional statement that Boaz gave to her. Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Why is that so significant? Why does the, the author find it necessary to pass over the details of the story, though? We just read it, but repeat something we just had the verse before. Well, in chapter 1, verse 21, this is what Naomi says as she enters Bethlehem. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Boaz is redeeming what God had emptied. God is redeeming what he had emptied. The hinted hand of God is working through Boaz to remove Ruth's bitterness, making her whole again. This is why Boaz says he knows the story. He knows what she said. Don't go back empty. And now Boaz is going to take center stage for the conclusion of our redemptive story. Ruth and Naomi have played their part. They've responded in faith by taking action when they needed to. But now they've reached a point where they must wait patiently for God to work through another person. Our story is powerful. The tension and intrigue certainly were captivating for a moment. But God intends for this story to instruct us in a few principles that we need to relate to our life today. First, react to God's catalyst. React to God's catalyst. A catalyst is a substance or object that initiates change in another but doesn't change itself. In this story, Naomi was Ruth's catalyst for action, and now Ruth is Boaz's catalyst for action. Redeem, fulfill. And so Ruth needed the encouragement and direction from Naomi to bring about her rest. God has supplied us with many catalysts like Naomi, transforming our lives into faithful saints. Where is our primary source for this catalytic, catalytic influence in our life? Do you know what it is? It's the Word of God first and foremost. He spoke through people and prophets before, but now we have God's Word in its entirety revealed to us to affect a change in our heart and life. We don't read this story, say, that's nice, and continue with our day. We are to read this story, and it produce a change and transformation in our motivations and desires to live for righteousness Hebrews 10, 24 gives us the other. And let us consider one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. What is the author of Hebrews um, prescribing to you and I? We're to be the catalyst in each other's lives. We're to provoke righteousness in one another. How do we do that? Well, it can't happen outside of relationships. It can't happen outside of being known and being loved, being in community. And he ties it directly to joining together every Sunday for worship, for praise, for honoring the Lord, for maintaining our covenant love and loyalty to God. And so we are catalysts in each other's lives, often through the use of our spiritual gifts. He's given each of us gifts to build up the body into the image and righteousness of Christ. Image of Christ, excuse me. And so your gift you, is a catalyst in another person's life to produce righteousness in them. Mine is this morning to preach to you. Yours, others, is to worship, to lead classes, to love, to show mercy, compassion, administration. All are God's instruments 
his practical means to promote righteousness in, in one another's lives. So react to God's catalyst. Don't become stubborn with God's catalyst. Next, live with integrity. Live with integrity. Each of these three characters acts on behalf of another despite having no obligation to do it. Naomi doesn't have to provide for Ruth at all. She can fend for herself. Ruth doesn't have to go to Boaz for Naomi and to serve her. Boaz doesn't have to act for either of them. He can do what he wants. But each, though they face significant risks in acting the way they did, continue to prove to us that the integrity that drives us is what honors the Lord most. As we've seen, each acts honorably and with integrity because they had pure motives. The desire of their heart was for righteousness and to do what was right. Read Proverbs 13, 2 with me. A person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. The Lord cares for what drives us. God is interested in what moves us into action. So what caused our characters to act? Naomi wanted to find a place of rest for Ruth's soul. Ruth wanted to honor her mother. Boaz was motivated by compassion for women who displayed honor and integrity, wanting to redeem them from their despair. What is our motivation as Christians? Read with me Paul's motivation for being an ambassador of God when he's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3-4. through 4. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our heart. Paul recognizes the depth of responsibility he has before God, just being a created being by God, not being an an apostle, even though that adds to it. Brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in the same. God is examining our heart daily. Are we, do we have a concern that he cares what we, what motivates us? And so our motivations produce integrity. If we, like Paul, are motivated by God's good pleasure, by his grace, joy, and his abundance of mercy, if we are motivated by the goodness of God and his glory, we will live with integrity the rest of our days. We will live what we believe. Last, find rest under the Redeemer's wing. Boaz is an archetype for Christ. He is a foreshadowing of Christ's own redemption that he brings in the New Testament. A redemption from the condemnation of sin because of uh, death because of sin. Do you remember back in verse 10 when, when Boaz realized it was Ruth laying at his feet? He was delighted to know that it was her. Blessed are you, he says. In the same way, Christ delights in us when we seek him for our redemption and our restoration. Again, remember how Boaz redeemed Ruth, her material status, her social stigma? He raises her out of that and then bestows upon her great honor and blessing. Well, Jesus Jesus is doing the same for us. He rescues us from our sinful stigma and bestows upon us his righteousness. He takes our sin and lays it upon himself and imputes us with his status and honor and blessing. And so there is no more fantastic rest our souls can find than to be secure in the righteousness of Christ. Death is no longer a fear. Condemnation is no longer a threat. Our future provision is no longer in question. For our souls are filled with the Spirit of God for eternity. And we reap rest. 
We reap the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But to have that fruit, we must seek the Redeemer. Like Ruth, she had to seek her Redeemer. Now, she didn't earn it, but she did exert effort. And so how do we seek out Christ? We don't have to conceive of a plan or wait for perfect timing or the mood to be right. That part of our story doesn't correlate to our New Testament life. So how? How do we relate to the Redeemer? Hebrews 11.6 Now without faith it is, impossible, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Do you believe Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe He's the Redeemer? Seek Him in faith. Believe in who He is and what He has done according to the Scriptures and our souls will find rest because it was done for us. It's imputed to us. That is because ultimately Jesus sought us out first. The Redeemer sought us out. Luke 19.10 Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has, has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus stands at the door knocking. Will you open it? For he also proclaimed, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Will you pray with me? Our Lord and our God, we thank you for the blessing that Ruth 3 shows us. It describes to us the intricacies of what it means to follow you in faith, to live with wisdom, but to trust you with outcome. Father God, would you help us to find shelter and rest under your provision and protection? And when we know that and reap the fruit by living what we believe. And so, Father God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here that they would consider this week their heart motivations, what is producing in them righteousness. I pray that you will help them recognize truly the catalyst that you surround them for righteousness. And lastly, will we draw, help us to draw near to you in this time of worship to find rest in your son's provision of salvation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.